Alright. Uh, that is uh, it's encouraging to hear what Sean just um, shared there about the chief because um, I had specifically prepared and was going to preach another message and uh, on the, as we left the city of Suva to drive for that hour down to where we were heading back to the village I, um, I really felt inspired to, to change my message and preach on John 3 and so um, I just kind of I didn't even have any notes and I went to write something and I thought I oh, forget it if it's not there it's not there I should be enabled to just go off and, and say what I've got to say and, and be able to teach them and uh, minister to them and so that's what we did and praise the Lord I, it was a good, that was a good meeting there and you just sensed that the word of God was being preached and God was dealing and speaking to hearts and so to have heard that is uh, greatly encouraging so let's continue to pray for them Praise the Lord. All right, now it's obviously a bit later in the time, but and I've got a few things that I want to speak about and address this morning. So let's put aside the clock, eh? And I want you um, to tune in, and I want you to listen, and uh, and I pray that God continues to speak to us in relation to what we're going to um, address this morning. I'm going to go through a number of things, so be patient, bear with me, but I'm more than confident that God will speak. Praise the Lord. Now, um, I feel directly led again to come back to the issues that I was dealing with prior to my departure to Fiji. And uh, it so happened that um, I was uh, preaching what developed into a series. It wasn't so much a deliberate thing, it's something that evolved, uh, by which I was looking at the fullness of the blessing that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so can I cast your mind back? Maybe you can remember a few things, maybe you can't, um, but uh, I'm sure as I touch upon a few things today, it'll, it'll jolt some things, but I'm sure uh, in a general sense you might be able to reflect on a number of aspects. And so what, um, what we looked at, well, we're looking at various statements that we find in the New Testament that relate to the... Uh, the the doctrine, if you want to call it, of the fullness of the blessing, where these things are clearly stated for us in the New Testament. But then we, we went back into the Old Testament and we considered various illustrations where these things were, uh, we found certain types that teach us and, uh, and, uh, about the truths that we find there stated in the Old Testament. So we were learning from both the old and the new in relation to God's plan and purpose for our lives to live and to walk in victory and to uh, live in that fullness. Okay. Now, in the process of preaching that, uh, prior to my departure, uh, I preached my last message and uh, it was on the spirit of faith. You may, some of you may recall. And so, um, after that, a particular person approached me and a couple, maybe one or two others, just to express that, 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 uh, that they enjoyed the message and it brought about a clarification because they, uh, as they were listening, they were a little unsure about what my position was and some of the things that I was talking about in relation to um, uh, had overtones of dominionism in it, and so which I can understand, but uh, as she was pondering these things, uh, it came to... Uh, the understanding, yes, there's context here and I can see it. So it was good. 
But that wasn't the only uh, uh, issue that was raised. There were also, uh, that was raised within the church, but there were other issues that were raised outside of the church, and so, um, and which I had to address as well. So obviously there were those that were listening to it, those that had questions, and uh, basically my position was being challenged in certain ways. And so the phrases that I was using, what is it that, uh, what is it that I'm teaching? So it was bringing about some degree of maybe confusion or controversy. And so <coughs> it so appears that uh, what I'm going to preach on this morning will hopefully address and clarify some of those issues so that we can have a clear understanding because one of the phrases that was uh, brought to my attention is this phrase, possessing our possessions. Possessing our possessions. Now think about the phrase for a moment, possessing our possessions. Because is it a biblical phrase? I'm raising these questions. Is it a biblical phrase? Is it scriptural? Is it valid doctrinally to use this phrase, possessing our possessions? And does it have a biblical context? And the answer to all of those questions is emphatically and absolutely yes. Okay? Now, I understand that there is uh, various teachings and false teachings that are surrounding this and I'll point to that in a moment. But again, the old adage is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there's false teachings and sometimes there's need for clarification, I can accept that. But we must hold fast to what our Bible teaches us. And if it's scriptural, then our job as ministers and as preachers is to draw out the truth put it into context and then preach it and teach it so that God's people can be blessed. Just because it's it's, it's a topic doesn't mean we avoid it. In actual fact, it serves a greater purpose for us to address it so that there is clarification, so that God's word does not get cast aside and more than that, so the devil doesn't rob us of what is ours. And so it is for that reason that I feel inspired and divinely led of God to to, uh, address these things because otherwise what happens is people kind of want to put you in a pigeonhole or they're going to sum you up. And so I'm just, uh, rather than play subtle games, I'd like to stand behind the pulpit and tell you what I think and what I believe and who I am. I'm not nothing to hide. I don't have a personal agenda. But rather... I am sharing with you those things that God has shown and spoken to me. And it's for our edification. Praise the Lord. And so in saying that, I'm going to digress a little bit and give you a little bit of an understanding of my background and how God worked in my life and began to show me the very things that I've been sharing with you over the last few months because... Um, it, was, uh, it didn't just happen overnight. It was through various trials and sufferings and very, a variation of things that the Lord had brought me through and out of that came the gems and the treasures of God's Word. I didn't just pick them up on a shelf when I went shopping, amen. I had to dig for them and God by His Spirit revealed them to me. 
And I don't say that boastfully, I say that humbly because the truth is not something that I find, so to speak. God reveals it, amen? Otherwise, we're always groping in the dark. I think I, I preached for years and I didn't understand certain concepts. But God is good and he helps us and he shows us and he teaches us. And so, it was about eight years or so ago, in Psalm 125, Sorry, Psalm 25. Psalm 25, I read that particular psalm and it's like the, the Spirit of God was speaking to me. That, there were very, and there are various aspects that relate to that psalm. And it was like I knew that the Spirit of God was ministering and speaking. Not that I understood everything that was going on, I just knew that it was a word from the Lord. And in actual fact, it was that particular psalm that brought me into contact with Iron Morgan. It what motivated me to personally make contact with him and fly over to, uh, uh, to Queensland and I was just wanting to catch up with him and he said, Gary, come, stay a few nights with your wife and we'll have a time of fellowship. And it was sweet fellowship. But it was born from Psalm 25 and what the Lord was speaking to me and how that connection uh, manifested and came about with Iron Morgan. And so, let me read just two verses. There's obviously the whole psalm, but I'm going to focus on this aspect to lay this whole foundation. It says in verse 12 of uh, Psalm 25, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. And so, this, out of this, there's a number of things, but specifically, and he will show them his covenant. You see, that as many other things, but this is what formed the basis of the journey. And not that I have arrived, actually far from it, but in my journey, the Lord has revealed and shown and built upon what he began when he first spoke to me that scripture in Psalm 25. And it was a revealing of his covenant and the covenant blessings and promises that are ours in the new covenant that is in Christ Jesus. And so, out of that, uh, it was an unveiling. It wasn't a one-off thing. It was snippets here, snippets there. Lord showing me this, showing that. And I cannot go through the amount of times in which the Lord bid witness with me from so many aspects, from scripture, from books, from people. I, can, I, I tell you, I, to the point where I had to just yield and say, I see it, God. It's like God's showing me from every angle so I can't deny it. I can see it and I remember once and Barbara can probably testify as I was reading a particular book and it was in conjunction with a few things and it's like God was speaking to me and I jumped in the air and I shouted in my, in my study. Yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> but I was, I was joyful in God. God was speaking to me and I knew it and I could see it. And it was so clear and I just said, yes and amen. Are you following me? 
And so, the whole concept of possessing our possessions is scriptural. It is doctrinally sound and it is rooted in the covenant promises and the inheritance that is associated with that which is ours in Christ Jesus. And uh, again, I could, and I will refer to various aspects throughout this particular message. But this brings me to how this message came about today. In my daily reading, just this week, as I was reading, I was up to the book of Obadiah. And as I just read it, there it is in verse 17. The scripture jumps out to me. And... Um, there we find a particular verse. Now, I'm not going to read it, but you're probably already reading it yourself and you're seeing it. And there's the phrase, possess their possessions. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. So, is is the phrase biblical? Absolutely it is. We've got to establish context. We have to understand what does the Lord mean by this? Does it apply to us? We're going to look at some of those things. But out of that, again, the Lord quickened my spirit and I thought, you know what? Of all that I had come to understand and all the resources that I had and all that is in my understanding at this point of time, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to jump on the computer and I'm going to type in this particular scripture and I'm going to see what comes up. And I did that. And there were two, two things that stood out as I Googled it and it came up on Google. And uh, there it is. There is a message from Joseph Prince possessing our possessions. I'm thinking, okay. Then there's another one, possessing our possessions by Charles Spurgeon. Hmm, it's good. So anyway, as I clicked on... Uh, um, that, that which related to um, uh, Joseph Prince and there I, I, get, I can see again the concerns that the genuine concerns that some may have in relation to the phrase possessing possessions but again don't just reject the statement because there's people that you know any truth that's taken to an extreme becomes an error that's the basis of error and so that doesn't mean we don't use the phrase. It doesn't mean that uh, just because I use it, I'm teaching or identifying with that. I think, uh, and to my defence, as I was challenged on a few things, uh, I, I believe that my spirit never once communicated um, anything that had external dominionism associated with it. Okay? It was dimin- there, there is an element of dominionism and I don't have a problem with it and I'm going to prove it to you scripturally in its biblical context. But uh, that my spirit was not associated. See, as I watched uh, and, uh, uh, the issue with Joseph Prince earlier this year, his word for his church was Obadiah chapter 1, verse 17. And so the theme for their church for the year was possessing our possession, still is. So, but you see, as I listened to him, what became clear to me is that they're talking about the external form of dominionism. Okay, now you must make this distinction. It's important for you to understand this. So it is external. 
So they talk about dominionism and they talk about a possession of my possessions, you know, when it talks about power, prestige, word faith, you know, possess it and, you know, whatever you want to call it, confess it, possess it. And so it's about possessing things that are in the form of dominionism that is externally expressed. It's about having this, having that. That's legally mine. It's why I'm the head, not the tail. You know, all that stuff, right? And so, so there you have this. And um, <clears throat> I remember when I went to, um, uh, to Cairns earlier this year, I went to a church and the church was known, I, I looked it up because it was going to be in the area, it was known as Living Waters but they had just changed their name to Royals Church. I thought, mm, okay, this is interesting. You know, uh, again, you pick up certain signals when, from terms. Okay, well, where are they heading? So I joined with them in the message and yep, there it was. It was dominionism. Absolutely dominionism. And I don't have a problem with the term royals. It's biblical. But what you mean by what you say is what the issue is. You can pick up the spirit of dominionism in a minute. The false teachings of it. And so, uh, as a result of that, uh, I remember thinking, gosh, this is really a concern. And then, just recently, my, where my brother goes to church in the West, um, their church has been taken over by a group and now they've changed the church and it's called Elevation Church. Elevation. So, you, you see the terms? You already identify as soon as I say it, don't you? Because it's, it, they're, they're using something, you know, my position. What are they talking about? You know, this is the manifest sons of God nonsense. This is about dominionism, us rising in the world and we're going to take over, we're going to rule here, there and, and all that surrounds the various teachings that are, there's a myriad of them and uh, kingdom now theology and stuff that's associated under the banner of dominionism which is what our brother um, from Germany was uh, speaking about when he was here. What's his name? Martin Edmund, yes. And so, there you have it, okay? So, uh, but then, I clicked on this sermon in written form by Charles Spurgeon. I wanted to compare. And so, there you have Charles Spurgeon. Now, when we hear the name Charles Spurgeon, we automatically have a level of respect. Okay, well, what's it? So, his message is called Possessing Possession. And so I read it and again I jump in my spirit because he's saying exactly what the Lord has shown me. His teaching on possessing possessions is in the biblical parameters of truth and therefore it is clearly scripturally sound and should not, no Christian in identifying with that should have a problem with it and not even with the term possessing possessions because it's biblical. Just because it's been hijacked doesn't mean we don't use it. We use it more. That means we use it more, but we just make sure that we know why we use it and what it means to us. And that's why I want to preach on the issue this morning. (coughs) Actually, I'm going to quote Spurgeon and I'm going to quote other men of God throughout this message. Because I've also come to understand that there's, a, there's been some issues where people uh, are not impressed with the fact that I quote from, from men of God, that I'm using extra-biblical sources. Again, I think that's absurd. 
Because it's not, of course we, I preach the Bible, of course I preach from the scriptures. But we can draw from, from these men of God uh, and read their books as well and we can draw wonderful truths and they can contribute to us. And sometimes, just sometimes, you can quote them because it helps in, as formulate the part of teaching. Because sometimes some people can say things better than I can. I'm not the prince of preachers. I'm just Gary Fitzgerald. I know who I am in the Lord. But sometimes we can use those various things to assist in teaching the Word of God. But Spurgeon was pointing to an erroneous understanding of possessing our possessions in his particular message, which he preached obviously, I don't know what year it was, but obviously it was some 150 years ago, I don't know now. But he says, many of us, are just now praying day and night that this may be our best year. It sounds like Prince. That we may have a larger increase than ever before. And so he's alluding to the fact that in the context of possessing our possessions, that's not what the Bible's talking about. See, this is no, there's nothing new under the sun, church. These things that we contend with now, they were contended them with them then, maybe not on the same scale, but they've always existed. And so he's making it clear that, that, that that's not what we're dealing with here. That's the problem he's saying with so many people. You're focused on that. That's your theme. Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. That's the problem. That's not possessing possessions. It's got nothing to do with it. And that's the, one of the errors of dominionism. It's an external thing, power, prestige, claim this, claim that. But you see what the Bible, and I say the Bible first and foremost, what people like Charles Spurgeon, what people like Andrew Murray, what people like Oswald Sanders, what people like Alan Redpath, like people like Vance Havner, people like A.W. Tozer, men of God, renowned men of God, who are to be esteemed and respected, they preach the same message. I know it, I've read it. And so I I can stand here as one who has been led of the Lord and say, Amen and Amen. But you see, the form of dominionism, and if you want to use this term, I use it deliberately in the context of the error itself, But if you want to refer to a form of dominionism, that's okay. But understand this, what we're dealing with is the internal, spiritual man. When the Bible talks about that you would be strengthened in the inner man, you see we're talking about a strengthening, we're talking about a dominion, we're talking about a a, a strength that is in your spirit. That's where dominionism is to find its expression where you walk in the spirit and you're not in the flesh, where you walk in that ascended state of spirituality, to be spiritually minded. And it's in that realm that we are dealing with. That is fundamentally the difference. We're talking about possessing our possessions has to do with the spiritual, not the physical. And so I pray that the Lord would open our eyes this morning and maybe for some who, uh, who cannot see it as once I did not, I pray the Lord would open your eyes because there's so much to be claimed, if you want to use that word, as we'll see, 
in the Lord. Because I can tell you this, church, the enemy does not want us to inherit the fullness of the blessing. He wants to sow discord. He wants to sow confusion. He wants to create things. And in the end, it's just to keep us away and rob us from actually seizing what is ours in Christ Jesus. That's when David was at Ziklag and uh, he comes back and they've taken, but the Bible says David recovered all. The enemy may try and rob us and steal uh, things away from us that is ours in Christ Jesus, but I tell you now, God wants us to have them. They're our possession. They're ours in Christ Jesus. And so let's proceed in having said all that to our text and I'm going to read it again in verse 17 of Obadiah. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. You see that the phrase is explicitly stated and so then the question is, well then, is it, the, is it exclusive to the house of David? Does that mean that it only applies to the house of David? Is that its only context? Or does it have a wider and a broader application? And the truth is it does. Absolutely it does. And I want to show you how, just so for, so for some. See, what I'm also understanding is just, I don't want to just assume everybody understands because I've realised that sometimes there are those that don't. So maybe you do. God bless you. Praise the Lord. But for, for, for the sake of it, we need to just make sure we cover the basis so we're, cut, we're establishing this biblical doctrinal teaching. So the key, I believe, lies in the fact that on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. Now when we talk about Mount Zion, we've got to understand how that spiritually applies and fits into us as the children of God, as the church. Because it does have an application. But when it says, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, as other translations that will use the word upon Mount Zion, there shall be those that escape. Or upon Mount Zion there is those which shall be saved. And that is us. Can you say Amen. We've escaped from the wrath to come. We have been saved from sin. We've been saved from these things. And now we are in the Lord and the Bible explicitly tells us again that we are at Mount Zion. In Hebrews chapter 12. And the writer here is comparing the two covenants. One at Sinai and the other, and now he's at Mount Zion. And he says in verse 22 of Hebrews 12, But you, the Christian, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, the new covenant and, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now think about that. The new covenant. The new covenant positions us at Mount Zion. That's what the scripture is telling us. And so when we read in the Old Testament, uh, sure it has an application to the house of Jacob. But that's not its only application. That's seeing it one dimensionally. And if anyone's familiar with the teachings of Jacob Prash, you'll know. They understand Midrash. It has various applications. 
And then this is exactly the same principle that applies to this particular text. Spurgeon, and I'm going to quote it from him, and he relates to this and when he addresses it, he says, but the former, he's talking about this text, he says, and about the house of Jacob, he says, but the former fulfilment of a promise does not make it useless like a cash check. The promise may be presented again and it will again be honoured. God's rules of action are immutable and therefore what he did to one company of his people he will do to others of them. God is sovereign but yet he acts according to his unchanging nature so that from one of his proceedings we may infer the rest. The temporary restoration of the captives to Jerusalem can only have fulfilment or fulfilled the promise upon a very small scale. It has a wider meaning that such an event could exhaust. The Lord is prepared to do the same on a larger scale for all those who put their trust in him. And he's saying, of course it speaks to us. When it talks about possessing our possessions, it's speaking to us as the people of God. And so therefore it is important for us to understand uh, what is being said and make an application of it to our lives. In other words, Spurgeon is saying the Christian needs to possess their possessions. And surely this is what is so claimed and stated in the New Testament. There is blessing after blessing that is pronounced. There is so much that we glean and we find in the New Testament and more than that, when you look at the Old Testament, you begin to see these things encapsulated, not just in the history, but they teach us, they illustrate, they're written for admonition, they have spiritual significance. They show us and illustrate to us the New Testament truths because the new is contained in the old and the old is revealed in the new just got that right sometimes you can mix it up (laughs) but you see and that's what I've been seeking to do in ministering to the church and to the people of God over the last few months I've said that the promised land is Christ the promised land is Christ I am his and he is mine Christ in me I am in Christ You see, there is a truth here. But let me draw your attention further to Mount Zion because there's something else that I want to highlight here. Because it says, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. Now, what else does Mount Zion indicate or teach us? Firstly, it's a mount. It's a mountain. Mount Zion. So when you think of a mountain in the the promised land, because it's obviously a literal place, as well as having spiritual significance. You see, a mount speaks of fortification. Okay? I remember when I went to India and I went and saw a, fortifi- a fortified uh, um, dwelling. It, you know what it was? it was? It was situated and elevated. Okay? Because there is the fortification. So, on a mount, and Mount Zion especially, it speaks of fortification, it speaks of strength, it speaks of protection, speaks of safety, speaks of security and yes, it speaks of dominion. Okay? Mount Zion. You see, when Israel possessed the land and uh, and they established their cities and so forth, 
they went on to the higher place, didn't they? For the most part, that's where we find Mount Zion because we see that that the higher place gave them an advantage over their enemies. Okay? So that they had protection. So that if they came under assault, they they had a place of elevation, if you want to call it that. Or they were uh, uh, fortified or they were able to, to, to move from that position. It gave them an advantage over their enemies. And in Psalm 125 it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. You see... This is the issue of trust. Now, we know from the New Testament that we are in a battle, aren't we, church? The book of Ephesians clearly tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We are in a battle. We're in a spiritual war. We're engaging constantly in that fight. And yet, uh, uh, but yet, what I want you to take note of is that is found in Ephesians 6 where it talks about the battle. Let's go back a few chapters, we'll backtrack it. And in chapter 2, the Bible says that we have been seated in heavenly places in Christ. Heavenly places. So, we, we're, we're, we're in Ephesians 6 tells us that there's a battle that rages in the heavenlies. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And yet, if you go further back, in chapter 1, it says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Where does it say? In the heavenlies. You see, this realm of the heavenlies is where spiritually we live. And it's on Mount Zion, amen, that we dwell. And we are to have a, we are to be in a place, spiritually speaking, where we can stand, stand against the enemy when he comes against us having done all to withstand. Stand therefore in the power of his might, obviously, but you see the sequence. And so when you look at that and you look at what's being taught doctrinally in Ephesians, you can trace that back to the Old Testament without a problem because it is typified for us in the nation of Israel, their entrance to the promised land and the book of Joshua having to go in and fight. And then, and even in Judges, where God made, left them in the land to afflict them so that he could teach the children of Israel to know war. Why? So that they could take dominion. Okay? It's there. It's everywhere. See, what it also tells us in light of this is Satan has access to the heavenlies. Satan has access to the heavenly places. That's why we've always got to be on guard. We've all, we, we, we always have to be mindful because we are constantly engaging in a war. And so that's why God wants us to exercise dominion. He wants us to exercise power. Not our power, not our dominion. It's his power. It's his strength. It's his grace. And we, we, we appropriate all the provision that God gives us and we exercise a dominion in Christ Jesus. Are you following me? Now again, I can refer, and I'm going to refer to a number of examples here because I want to illustrate it further. I have a number of books that I've read over the years and, and, uh, but, and they all fundamentally are teaching the same principle but in various and different ways. But Oswald Sanders has a book called Christ Indwelling 
and enthroned. And he's talking about the fact that as we submit to Christ and God takes his, his place in our heart, that we come to that place of victory, that place of fullness that is in Christ. But then there's another author by the name of F.J. Hugel. He wrote a book and he called it The Enthroned Christian. The Enthroned Christian, Christ Indwelling and Enthroned. But you see, however, whatever phrase you want to use, they're principally talking about the same thing and how it is achieved. And both will refer to Old Testament types to illustrate these doctrinal truths that are found within the New Testament. Has anyone ever heard of Alan Redpath? No. Yeah? Yep, okay. He's He's a writer, a prolific writer. He's well known. Not now, I mean, but back in his day. He wrote a book on victorious Christian living and attaining spiritual maturity. Now, listen, I'm just going to read what he says. He says, We have been emphasising the striking analogy between the book of Joshua in the Old Testament and the letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament. The way to victory, to the life that God intends his child to live, is pictured graphically and challengingly in this Old Testament book. And then he speaks further. As you remember, the theme is victorious Christian living and spiritual maturity. Then he talks about possessing possessions. I'll quote. And he's using Joshua. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given to you. The whole land was given to the people but they could possess only the portion which they claimed. Is that, is that scripture? Absolutely it is. We must not only know our title, but make our claim to every blessing. All of the Lord Jesus Christ is mine at the moment of conversion, but I possess only as much of him as by faith I claim. Now, I can, church, I can tell you this is absolutely 100% true. This is what the Bible teaches. It's right throughout the scriptures. And these men, they, they write on in much more eloquence than, than I could, what I'm sharing with you this morning. I just finished reading a book and it wasn't deliberate, uh, uh, but I was reading it and it was by Andrew Murray called The Two Covenants. The two covenants and the second blessing. Now, there's a whole doctrinal aspect behind the second blessing. I'm not going to go into that. But there is truth to it. And the whole premise of... He's drawing the distinction between the two covenants of God, primarily the old and the new. And then he's talking about the second blessing that is associated to the Christian life. And why did they come up with the phrase second blessing? Well, they, there's a number of reasons, but fundamentally it's this. Because when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. But then they dwelt in the wilderness and then they had to go through the Jordan to enter the Promised Land. And that's why I preached on Kadesh Barnea. Well, it wasn't because of that. Primarily, the Lord had spoken to me outside of that. But again, it's in the same thought. The same thought, Kadesh Barnea and then crossing the Jordan. And what what they spiritually speak and mean to us and how to apply them to ourselves. Because we have to cross the Jordan, folks. If you're going to enter into the promised land, if you're going to obtain and claim and possess all that is yours in Christ Jesus, then we have to pass through the same spiritual journey. 
Vance Havner. He's another uh, reputable man of God. He says, in the realm of things spiritual, we have with us the Bible window shopper. Hmm. He moves along through the book reading its precious promises, hearing its high challenges, looking at its deep messages of peace and power and victory of which it exists, but he never makes them his own. He appreciates, but he does not appropriate. You see, there is, a, and I can tell you anecdotally from my own experience, I can tell you as a pastor, as a minister in serving in church, this is true, for church. The Bible's true and this is true practically. This is how it works. And I could go on, but I'm making my point. I think it's, you're following me and understanding where I'm heading. But I want to continue. I want to define further what it means to possess our possessions so that you can understand. What are those possessions, spiritually speaking, when we talk about it? Because Spurgeon, and I'm going to quote him again, he says this in his message on possessing possessions. He says, We set before many of you every Lord's day the great possessions of eternal life, of pardon, of justification, of the new birth, sanctification, and all the other treasures of the covenant of grace. But though they are set before you and you long after them, many of you feel unable to grasp them as your own. You see, Charles Spurgeon was dealing with the same issues then as we deal with now. It's part of the journey. It's, it's a pro, it applies to all. And so he's saying to them, every week I pr- we put these things before you. And notice how none of them have to do with an external form. He's talking about the spiritual, forgiveness, eternal life, justification, new birth, sanctification and all the other treasures of grace and there's others. But he's trying, what he's saying is, is there are those that haven't possessed them for themselves. And that's why I, I've made emphasis over, over, over months and we've, we've looked at the issues of God's grace and the peace of God the, the rest that is in Christ. These, see, these are all the possessions. Grace. Peace. Um, uh, uh, love. The rest. Victory over sin. Victory over self. We could go on. Uh, forgiveness, sanctification, full assurance, full stature, complete in Him. All of these are spiritual concepts and these have to do with our possessions. And it's those, and that is when the Christian lays hold of those things for themselves. And when they claim their possessions, they don't have to live in guilt. They don't have to live in fear. They don't have to live in condemnation. Because when you possess your possession by faith in God, you'll possess it for yourself. That was the big lesson I've shared with you that I've learnt in life ministering because I've tried to help. I've tried to give people, um, I'm giving them the possession. I've, I even package it up for them. And I say, here it is. But they don't take it because you've got to claim it. I can put it in your hand, but you've got to lay a hold of it. You've got to say, this is mine. You've got to believe it. You've got to mix it with faith. I can't mix it with faith for you. You see, I'm talking about enjoying our salvation. I'm talking about living in spiritual power. I'm talking about walking in the Spirit. I'm talking about living in the land and feeding on the faithfulness of God. 
Again, I said it before, but that's why, and I illustrate the point, that's why Smith Wigglesworth, regardless of things you may or may not think, he said this, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside. What he's saying is, I've possessed much. Because you know what? In Christ, I've possessed by faith. I've laid a hold of the promises. I've possessed my possessions. I'm taking the land. Because you know what the scripture tells us, even as Israel went in, there was still much more land to possess. And for the Christian, there's so much more. As we go on, now God unveils and opens us up more things to us, doesn't he? But we still have to claim them, we've still got to take them and appropriate them for ourselves. And that's where the issue of faith is critical. And again, I'm going to quote Spurgeon. He says, you know that the tenure of these possessions is faith. But either you do not understand what faith is or you for some other reason fail to exercise it and so you do not appropriate what the gospel freely gives to you. You are either confused by ignorance, dazed by fear as to your own sin or held back by the temptations of the devil. But he says the tenure of possessing your possessions is faith. How much faith do you need to have? I told you that I spoke on faith the other week. Just believe and therefore speak. And I tell you, when you begin to take that and believe God and then, and then speak in the language of faith as, as, you confess, as you believe in your heart, you will confess with your mouth. Okay? Again, putting it in its proper biblical context. That's how faith operates. And I'm going, to, I'm going to conclude, because I'm going to quote from Spurgeon again. I know I've done it a few times, but that's why they called him the Prince of Pre- Preachers, because he says something and he puts it together in a way that takes me whole sermon to preach. <laughs> but let me quote. The text, and he's talking about Obadiah 1.17, our text. The text leads me to pray that believers may enjoy fully what they have grasped by faith. Christ is mine, but beloved, among, who among us knows all that is ours in Christ? He is a case which is all ours, but we do not open its doors and take out all of its treasures. Our possessions in Christ are very wide, but we, we need to be bid or encouraged, like Abraham, to lift up our eyes to the north, to the south, to the east and to the west that we may form a clearer idea of the goodly land which the Lord our God has given us. We see the blessings of the covenant, but we do not feed on them as we might. Do we drink deep into them, and is our soul satisfied as with marrow and fatness by them? Remember I preached that sermon? Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. I fear we do not, by enjoyment, possess our possessions. See, when you possess your possessions, church, the joy of that fills your heart. You can say yes and amen. You can get excited. You can, get, and you can even show a little bit of emotion. Amen? Isn't that right, Joan? Hey? But that's how it works. With joy, draw from the wells of salvation. And then it says in Isaiah 12, it says, Cry out and shout, you inhabitants of Zion. That's us. That's where we're living. That's where God has placed us. That's where we're at. 
shout and cry out and rejoice because all I am in Christ Jesus. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Do you know who I, who I was and who I am? And in Christ Jesus, I have been seated in heavenly places. I am a royal priesthood. See, when you put them all in context, it's beautiful. When they take it out of context, they're corrupting these beautiful pearls and treasures of God's word. But they're not going to neglect it. We're going to speak on it more because that is our inheritance. Hallelujah. If the devil can create confusion and fear, then we won't even go near these topics because, and then, then, then he just keeps it at arm's length. And so I pray that the Lord would open your eyes this morning. I pray that you would possess your possessions. I pray that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Amen. The Lord bless you. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I rejoice in you. I rejoice in your word. I rejoice in the truth. If you abide in my words, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I thank you, Lord, for that freedom in Christ. I thank you for the deliverance that is at Mount Zion, that we have escaped the snare of sin and the devil. God, we have been saved and we have been blessed, not just saved, but we have been blessed with such an inheritance in Christ Jesus. And Lord, let us not live as paupers, but as princes in the biblical context and application of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.